invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the James 4 passage that we read a little earlier. Are you humble? To answer yes might jeopardize the reality of it. But if you're not quite sure of your answer to that question, I want to quote the lyrics of a Max, Mac Davis song that was written a number of years ago. And strangely enough, Pastor Crompton told me this was his favorite song. So keep that in mind. It says, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a wonderful man. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. Now that's obviously not what humility is all about, and that certainly wouldn't pass the test of humility that James gives us in this passage in James 4, 7-10. through 10. As we've discovered, let me refresh your memory since we haven't been in this book for a few weeks, the entire book of James is all about knowing the difference between the possession of faith and the profession of faith. Um, we have come to the realization in our terms, I've called it a non-fiction faith, a real faith, some, a faith that's genuine, we found out is not a faith without works. In other words, we don't get saved by a, our works, we're saved by faith and grace alone, but that is always accompanied by a life of works, a life that is changed. Um, it's a living faith that actually changes you from the inside out. It's not just a set of beliefs, although it is that. It's a set of beliefs that comes with a set of behaviors because our life has been transformed. I'm not saying by that that it's just living a good life and that all, that's all that matters. Certainly that is not the case. Nor am I saying that it's just about adopting or assenting to a set of beliefs intellectually or cognitively. That's not what Christianity is. It is a belief in Jesus Christ that transforms your life from the inside out, both now and for eternity. It's, as James said in chapter 1, it's looking into the mirror of the Word of God and seeing yourself and seeing Jesus and changing to become more like Him. And so James' reader at the beginning, readers in chapter 4 at the beginning were uh, having a struggle. It was the struggle between being the friend of God and being the friend of the world, and therefore he calls them adulteresses. Um, so he says... And, and tells us today at the end of verse 6 that the problem with Christians who try to love God and love the world at the same time, the root of that problem is pride. And so he takes the time in quoting Proverbs 3.34 to address that issue, that God puts his hand in the face of proud, proud people. He opposes them. Literally, it's the word resist. It's the same word used of what we should do to the devil in verse 7. And here's what he says to us. God opposes them, but if you want to overcome pride and you want to be God's friend and not his enemy, you have to be a humble person. And because God says humility is the cure, it is the remedy for pride. In fact, in our text, it serves as a framework or a bracket. The word humble in verse 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Underline it. But then at the end of our text, in chapter 4 and verse 10, he says this, humble yourselves. 
So here's what God says about humility, verse 6. Here's what you must do in verse 6, because that's the framework. And everything between 4.6 and 4.10 is going to give us how to be humble. So this morning, if you're saying, Pastor Walker, I could probably, as we all could, work on our humility a little bit. James says, let me tell you in no uncertain terms how and how someone becomes a humble person and defeats pride in their life. See, Mac Davis was partially right. It is hard to be humble, not because you're perfect, but because you're proud. And we have to face that this morning. Let me start off with a definition. Pride is a complete indifference to God's highness and at the same time, your lowliness. Pharaoh had a problem. He kept res- God kept pressuring him and bringing plagues on Egypt, but he kept resisting. Why? Because he thought he was God. See? And so he resisted, and he wouldn't humble himself to the point where he destroyed his own family and almost every family in Egypt. Belshazzar watched Nebuchadnezzar, who was seemingly his grandfather, drool and grow feathers and to grow claws like an animal and wonder for and, and be fed like seven years he knew that story but yet it came time when the handwriting was on the wall god says to him or daniel says to him and you knew all that and you still didn't humble yourself see here's what god says the quality of humility is that which embraces this truth you are not god you are not god and so James puts before us this test of humility, and really it comes down to this. It's a choice this morning between two things for everyone here, between self-exaltation or God-exaltation. Either you will put yourself up high, or you will wait for God to put yourself up high. Listen to the words of our Lord in Matthew 23, 12. He says this, whoever exalts himself, self-exaltation, if you put yourself up, If you take things into your hand, you have to be in control. He says, then you will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted, namely by God. So if you exalt yourself, God says, I'll bring you down. But if you bring yourself down, God says, I will put you up. It's a choice. Everyone here today chooses because you can't have it both ways. Either God will be high and you will be low or you will be High and God will be low. You see, it's one or the other. And friends of the world, here's what identifies them. They exalt themselves because that's the world's way. Friends of God humble themselves. They let God in his timing and his way exalt them or put them up. So James says, let me unpack for you this morning the humility test. And all along this morning, in the minutes we have together, I want you to ask yourself, am I passing it? Because, look around at our world today, by and large, our nation is not passing this test. In fact, God humbled the whole world, didn't he, in 2020? First in China, and then in Italy, and then in England, and then in in Europe. And then the purported greatest nation on the world was humbled as much or more than any other nation, the United States. And wave after humbling wave continues to roll with COVID-19 through our country. And we are continually humbled by it. And the ripples of that humility are still going on as I speak this morning. But of course, the humbling didn't stay nice and hermetically sealed in 2020. A mob breached the grounds and the walls and the halls 
of the capital. And humili- humiliating or humbling experience after one after the other continues to happen in our country. But can I tell you this? It's not just taking place on a national level. It's taking place on a personal level. And, and perhaps many of us have been experiencing the loss of job. It was humbling. The loss of life, loved ones and friends. The loss of freedom to travel and to go places and, and to be together. We've lost that to some degree. And as it turns out, humility is not only hard, but it hurts. Hear me when I say this. It's possible, and I've learned this, it's possible to be humbled without being humble. You know that, right? It's possible to be humbled by your circumstances, but not actually be humble. And that's why I believe there have been two pandemics going on. The pandemic of COVID-19 and the pandemic of pride. Because in America, we still haven't become humble. You see, we've been humble before the virus, but that's not the test that James offers. What he says is, humble yourselves before the Lord. That's the test James is talking about. And in this text, and you probably can't read it as readily in, English, in the English version, but in the original version, if you'll turn to James if you're not there already, there are ten commands, ten imperatives in verses 7 through 10. Ten of them. And we're not going to take time, so don't watch your Oh, man, it's Quartz Hill, and he's on number one. We're not going to tackle them one at a time. We're going to put them together because I believe they go together. But I want you to see this. I want you to see this as God's, can I say it this way, his vaccine for the pandemic of pride. There are ten ingredients in God's vaccine, and we need every bit of them in order to, as Dr. James would say, uh, conquer pride and the devil. So let me put them together in three groupings so we can manage it this morning. So number one, let me say it this way. If you're going to get humble, first of all, you got to get under. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves, watch, therefore to God. Verse 6 says, God gives grace to the humble. So here's what James says. It's going to take God's grace for you to overcome your pride. And if you want God's grace, here's the first step to it. You have to submit to God. Self-submission is the first step step to self-humbling. Submit means military term, Put yourself under. Someone is ranking higher than you. You gladly take your position under them. And in this context, it's to God. To God. The two ingredients go together. Ready? Submit to God. Resist the devil. Those two commands go together. All throughout James, he is comparing God. A God faith and a demonic faith. He's saying God's wisdom from above, Satan, demonic one from below. He's talking about submission to God, submission to the devil. See, here's the thing. They are antithetical to one another. They are polar opposites, extremely different than one another. And it goes without saying that you can't have both at the same time. You cannot be submitting to God and submitting to the devil. You cannot be the friend of God and the friend of the world. See, here's what, here's what he says. You have to submit to God and resist the devil. You cannot be resisting God and doing your own thing, right, and not be submitting to the devil. They go hand in hand. See, either God is resisting you, verse 6, or you are resisting, the devil is on attacking you, and you're not resisting him, verse 7. Interesting word, resist. It is the word we get in English, antihistamine. 
And you know what antihistamine is? It's a blocker. It's an allergy blocker. It blocks histamines in your system. And here's what God would say. You want to have a devil blocker and a pride blocker in your life? You want to block that from happening? Here's what you got to take. You got to take a heavy dose of humility. You've got to submit to God. Put yourself under his authority. And the Bible says, and there's three times in this passage, there's a command and a consequence. If you resist the devil, here's the consequence. He will flee from you. It's the devil blocker. It's the pride blocker. It's exactly what you need. But you can't get it without putting yourself under God's authority. And does it not go without saying that is not popular today? Submission is not what everybody, expressive individualism, holding on to my rights, nobody telling me what I can do with my body, i.e. abortion rights, nobody telling me who I can become, transgender rights, no one can tell me what I can do in this world and who I can become, there are, submission is not popular, not to say the least. We have, by and large, taken it out of our wedding vows. Ladies don't like to say anymore. They don't like to say, I will submit to you. They don't like that in their vows. We are equal. Everybody thinks equal doesn't, doesn't have any ramifications about how things work. Children don't want to submit to their parents. People don't want to submit to their government. Wives to husbands. People to their bosses. Submission is not in our world. But the Bible says this, if you want the devil to run from you, you want the de- it's not some magical prayer, it's not casting out a demon, you know what it is? Submission. You know how you get the devil to run? You put yourself under God's authority and obey his word. See, that's what he wants you. See, then the devil will treat, retreat. See, that's what God wants from us. The devil started the pandemic of pride. You you know why and how? When he rebelled against God's authority, he wouldn't submit. And every time God puts authority in our lives and we we rebel against it, we are repeating the very beginning of the pandemic of pride. When it comes right down to it, look at the text. Look at all the military words. Resist, oppose, flee, run. See all those things? Those are all military terms. And it's not far-fetched to say this. Your fight to submit to God is spiritual warfare. It actually is. And that's why I also don't think it's much of a stretch to say this. Some of you have the devil living in your house. How so, Pastor Walker? Dads who don't submit to God and are not the kind of leader in their home they ought to be. Moms who don't submit to God and their husbands, and we don't submit to one another as husbands and wives. See, that's not happening in your marriage. That gives the foothold to the devil. Kids and teenagers who don't submit to their parents' authority, and they're into all kinds of things that their parents don't know about, or you think they don't know about. See, unsubmissive lives. See, that's where the devil gets in, because that's his specialty. That's what he's an expert at. And if we want to get the devil out, we have to get under God's authority. So the first thing he says, listen, if you want to be humble, if you want to defeat the devil and pride in your life, here's what he says. You have to get humble, you have to get under. But secondly, he says this in verse 8. If you want to get humble, you also have to get close. Draw near to God. See, here's the command and the result. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I don't think it's a brand new revelation when I say this to you this morning. The devil is a divider. He is. The devil is a divider. See, 
he likes to put distance between you and God and you and others. And you know how he does it? Your pride. Your agenda, your purposes, your want, your will, your self-promotion. He loves to do that. Draw near to God is a temple term. It's what was talked about when priests in the Old Testament would go into the temple and make their sacrifices. Leviticus 10.3, God says to Moses, to Aaron, among those who draw near to me, I will be sanctified. In other words, if you want to get close to me, there are requirements, God says. You want to come into my holy presence and you want to offer sacrifices? You want to be right with me? That means be close to me? See, there are, you just can't waltz into God's presence. You can't just treat him as if he's anybody else. And here's what he says. You know what the problem with pride is? It distances you from God and you don't even know it. So he tells them, draw near to me. Come back. Come to relate to me and worship me on my terms, he says. Now, the strange thing about that and about pride and humility, for that matter, is that we often don't know which one really characterizes us. Jesus told in Luke 18 a, 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 a story about a tax collector or a sinner and a Pharisee. The Pharisee stood in the temple and it said he stood close to where the sacrifices were. He thought he was close to God. And here's how he talks. God, I'm not like these other people who sin and do all these things. God, I'm great. God, I do this. I read my Bible. I come to church, we'd say today. I go to all the services. I serve in ministry. And he went to God and rehearsed all the things that made him so great because he was so proud. But said, said he looked humble, but he was actually proud. And then the Bible says, standing afar off, see, looking like he was distant from God, was a tax collector who had all kinds of problems. And the Bible says that he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He, he was so humble, he wouldn't even look at God because he was so ashamed of his life and the things that he was doing. And the Bible says he even beat his breast. He's in fact, the only term is only used one other time is when people walked away in Luke's gospel from the cross and that Jesus died and they couldn't believe it happened. They beat their breasts, meaning they were humbled by it. And the guy says, he wouldn't even look to heaven, and he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, you know who went down to his house right with God? Not the Pharisee, the tax collector. You know why? Because he was exalting himself, and the other was humbling himself. But sometimes, see, we can fool ourselves. And we can look like we're one or the other and we're really not. See, true and false humility. Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near to God with a true heart. A true heart. One that has been washed and clean, that has full assurance that you have a right. See, God wants you to come this morning and perhaps he brought you here because he wants you to take a look at your life and externally, most everybody here would think you probably have it together. and You look like you're close to God, but you know, you know that there's a distance there. And can I tell you this morning, do you know why you feel distant from God? Because it's you. He's not distant. You are. And that's why the Bible says the onus is on you. The initiation starts with you. God this morning is waiting for you. He says, draw near to God, then he will draw near to you. It's you God has said, I put out the invitation. I've invited you into my presence to worship, but you are not willing to humble yourself. 
See, that's why those imperatives go together. He says, to get close, watch, you have to get clean. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And then he says this, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, he says, here's how you get close. Come close to me and I'll come close to you and the distance will be eliminated. How? You've got to get clean. To get close, you have to get clean. To be, you have to be anti-Satan and anti-sin. You resist the devil by living a right life. I looked up on the internet, and you know, if you want to have your house cleaned, I mean really cleaned, you can call up a company called Molly Maid. Molly Maid has an advertisement in it, and it starts off with this, which you can identify with. We all know about those cleaning tasks that we all try to avoid until it's absolutely necessary. And then they give you two absolutely, when your oven has smoke signals, or the inside of your microwave looks like you have a finger painting project from one of your children. And then they said this, what do you need to clean your house? And then there's this thing at the top called a deep cleaning checklist. You can look down the deep and it'll tell you how exactly what they're going to do. If you hire them and come to your house, they're going to deep clean your kitchen, your bathroom, your, all the rooms, and they show you how they're going to go through all of it, see. James has a deep cleaning checklist. You know what it is? Clean your hands, clean your hearts. See, it's not enough. Listen, deep cleaning is not merely external, right? You don't just clean the top of the oven or the top of the microwave. You've got to get it inside. You've got to scrub it. He says, listen, you need to clean your hands. When you went in before God and it became a tradition amongst the Orthodox, see, see you would ritually clean your hands before a meal. Jesus got in trouble with his disciples because he didn't do that. See, they were all about cleaning your hands. On the outs- the things that you do, your hands, your, your behaviors, clean them. He says, but that's not enough. Do you see it? No, no, what you need to get close to God is a deep clean. So he says, purify your hearts. Get, stop thinking about how I can be reforming the outside, be, behavior modification. Okay, I need to cuss less. I need to stop watching so much TV. You know, if I really had priorities and I changed. No, God's just saying, I don't want just clean hands. I want it all to come from clean hearts. I want you to get down. I want there to be a deep cleaning on the inside. Pastor Walker, why do you say deep cleaning? Because look at the terms he uses to describe them. You sinners. <laughs> You double-minded. See what he's saying? Those are identity markers, and they're not good ones. Sinners had moral and social implications. If you were a publican or a prostitute, you were called a sinner. That's the kind of people, and and it's no wonder he already has called them adulteresses in verse 4. See, they've already been made enemies of God. He wants them to see that it's serious. Because a double-minded person, which we saw that word in chapter 1 and verse 8, It literally means double-souled, two-souled, divided allegiance. See, Satan will divide you from God. He'll divide you from other people in your church. But you know what he also does? He divides you on the inside. See, you'll think that you can play the game, and some of you may be playing it this morning. See, I think I can be a friend of God and a friend of the world, that I can have some allegiance to God. Hey, I show up on Sunday morning. It doesn't go much further than that. I mean, it's not like I'm into the Bible or prayer or ministry or come to any of the other services. 
Not like I'm going to get in a small group or anything. I have this, but I have an allegiance to God to some degree, but I also have another soul, another allegiance, another loyalty. And here's what James says. It's got to stop. The deep cleaning of your hands and your heart. See, it's not just a spot remover. We're not talking about how you spill grape juice on the couch and you turn the cover over on the other side, the pillow, right, or whatever it is. No, this isn't just turning it over so nobody sees it and has to look at it. See, it's not just a carpet stain. No, this is deep cleaning. James would say it this way today. You need professional help. You need Molly made, spiritual Molly made to come into your life. You need someone to get down deep and get the dirt out the world has put on you. And he says, and if you do, if you draw near to me, see, I'll draw near to you. See, God says, you've got to come to the realization that the distance problem between you and God is your problem. Maybe this morning you might want to bow your head before we leave today, and you might say, God, I need deep cleaning. Humility, if you have it, will say this, God, it's my hands that are dirty. It's my heart that is dirty. I'm the two-souled one, God, and by saying so, you'd say this, God, it's hard for me to say it, but I've been cheating on you. I know you deserve my singular focus and devotion, but God, I've got other friends. I've got other people, other things in my life that take precedent over you. I pursue the world over you, God. See, and that's why young ladies and young men who are saved date and marry unsaved guys. You know why? Because they think they love God, but they want to have a love for the world at the same time. All kinds of time you have for the world, for sports, for education, for your job, for funny, fun, video games, watch, but some of us, not even an hour for God. See, dirty on the inside and the outside, it takes deep cleaning. So the hymn writer says, Lord, take my life and make it wholly thine. Fill my poor heart with thy great love divine. Take all my will, my passion, and my pride. I now surrender, Lord, in me abide. See, surrendering your pride is holistic. He's not just looking for your hands. He's not just looking for your heart. He's looking for both of them. So if you're going to get humble, you have to get under. And then once you get under, you've got to get close and you've got to get clean. And the last thing he says to us is if you're going to get humble, you have to get serious. Verses nine, verse 9 almost sounds like someone's at a funeral. Be wretched, mourn, weep. It's about feeling terrible. It's about feeling tears. It's about being moved emotionally. See, this isn't just some stoic choice that you're making so that you can have a better life for yourself. No, God says, I want you to be wrecked on the inside. No, I want you to be wrecked. I want it to break you, your heart like it breaks my heart, God says. I want you to see your sin and your pride and what it's doing to you and to what others and to the church. What, see, I want you to see it like I see it. And God says, here's how you can know. So if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Walker, do I have pride? Is it really ruining things, relationships? Is it ruining me between me and God or me and others? How would I know? How do I know that I'm actually repentant? There'll be two reversals. See it? Verse 9. You will, laughter will be turned to mourning and joy will be turned to gloom. What does that mean? It means this. Listen, 
Here's why it's hard to be humble, because if you're going to repent of pride, you have to value humility over your happiness. And some people see they don't want to be wrecked. They'd rather have a little bit of remorse, but they still want to be happy and go. They don't want to think that way about them. It might depress them. It might cause anxiety. See, they're really not into that. See, to be repentant of your pride, to really have humility, you have to value that over happiness. Your laughter is turned to mourning, as if someone died. You have to value and desire your purity over your pleasure. You have to let the joy go so that you can turn from it. It's all about turning. See, let it be turned into. When you turn, it's your repenting. How do you know you're repenting of your pride? How do you know if you really started to get a grip on humility? It's a turning. It's a changing. It's not just a modification. It is a transformation. It is not just turning over a new leaf. It is turning over a new life, he says. And it has to start with you, and that's where he ends. And so do I. Because verse 10 says, Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, if you've been exalting yourself, the turning means this. I stop exalting myself, and I wait for God to do it. Can I tell you, that's not easy. 1 Peter 5, 6, the sister passage to this. Here's what Peter says. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, but watch, in due time. You know what humility says? God, I'll let you exalt me your way. You know what, Jesus, he had to die on the cross before he was exalted. And Father, if I have to die to self, if I have to suffer, if I have to go through difficulties, if I have to go through, see, humility says, God, you, I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to do it your way. Watch, not done. And I'm also going to do it in your time. See, he will exalt you in due time. Jesus said, suffering cross first, glory second. And it says, and God exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. See, but it wasn't until the suffering and the cross was completed. See, can you do that this morning? If you can't, you have to humble yourself and say, God, I will humble myself your way. I'll take the cross. And I'll also do it in your timing. I will stay humble, and I will stay little and low as long as you see fit in this marriage, as long as you see fit in this cancer, as long as you see fit in this financial problem, as long as you see fit until Jesus is formed in me. See, that's, that's humility. And that's why the word taponosis and hum humble, it means this. It means to reduce in size, to make little. See, either you're big and God's small, or God's big and you're small. It can't be both ways. And until you're small, until God is macro and you are micro, until you're reduced to the size that you really are, and he is made to be the size he really is in your life, you will all succumb to pride. We all will. So he says to us, you know how to overcome friendship with the world and be friends of God? Humble yourself and God will lift you up. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in your sovereign wisdom, you know how and you know when to humble us.
and to exalt us. Lord, we want to say out loud this morning to you that we trust you with that. There are some people here today and they're struggling and the reason the distance is there between you and them is pride. It's the root of it. And you brought them here today to humble them. Oh, Father, circumstances may have already done that to some degree, but it's not humility until we do it to ourselves. May we respond to all the things going on in our lives. May we respond in humility till Jesus be formed in us. But in his name we pray. Amen.